The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to Super Skull Vault of Midnight's weekly new comic day audio digest. That brand new theme song that you're listening to, brand new, right now, that's playing right now, mm-hmm. that was by A-Bomb. It's called Blamerica. Thank you very much to him for providing that to us. Uh, check out A-Bomb. We're going to link to it in the show notes. My name is Peppermint Larry, Nick Wybar, and I work at Vault of Midnight. I'm joined by Flapjack Swimmer. Hope you brought your syrup, because it's going to get sticky. And Curtis Captain Knuckles Sullivan. That's me! Oh, that was a good Captain Knuckles. Thank you. That was my pirate voice. Where did these nicknames come from, buddy? They came from a cartoon called uh, Flapjack. The I think they're the Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack is I the full title. I love that cartoon so much. So I'm in love with it. I couldn't remember if I made it up or not. It was one of these because I couldn't find it anywhere. You thought it was a fever dream. I was like, what happened? I love this cartoon. It. You can't buy it anywhere. You can't get it on DVD. Yeah. It was in streaming nowhere. Then bang, all of a sudden it appeared on a streaming television service that I subscribe to uh-huh. all three seasons. The dude who made that show, his name is Thorop Van Orman. Great name. That's not a real name. Which sounds fake. Yeah, that's but, fake. But is not. Yeah, that's so, his born um, name. Marcus would hate this show. Why do you say that? Because it's a lot of fun and it's really good. <laughs> it, you might... It, it could go either way. It's like one of those ones I can't tell because, like Marcus, I no, he would. It's too absurd. It, it is absurd. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Marcus is not a fan of absurdist, and it's a little. Do gross. you know what I'm picking this week for the pick of the week? Like that's an absurd concept. Yeah, that's not. That's Power Rangers. Yeah. Spoiler well, to, alert. Yeah, way to give fucking cats out of the bag now. Vault to Midnight is a weekly new comic day audio digest. And uh, we're a comic shop out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we're very proud to announce, as of just a couple of days ago, soon to be Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. We're opening a new comic shop. That's true. Guys, why'd you pick Detroit? Well, we want to sell comics to all the humans of the world. True. There are a bunch of really great comic shops that have been around forever in that neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. but we thought maybe we'd go right down, harder downtown Detroit. Just like we do in Ann Arbor and just like we did in Grand Rapids. Comic shops are kind of traditionally, like, at least lately, a little more on the periphery of a town, in a strip mall or in a different uh, spot than your main street sort of an area. Sure. That's our thing. We want to be bang. We want to confound everybody and go, here, it's right in your face, right next to the yoga studio. Do your yoga, get your craft beer. Yeah. Or whatever. So, God willing, mm-hmm. and the creek don't rise. There's going to yeah, be a yeah. lot of Vault of Midnights in the world before too long. And you they're going to be all up in your face. And they're going to be Main all up Street. in your face. And we want them always to be downtown somewhere. And if you think about what, where is a cool place in the continental United States of America where cool shit is happening downtown, where a downtown is just fucking exciting and a really cool place to be, Detroit, Michigan's like, you can't have that conversation without talking about Detroit. I'm saying, sure. we've been driving out to Detroit for a couple of years trying to find a spot, I mean, a year and a half plus, mm-hmm. and the amount of awesome art galleries, food, places that I've seen and been, and the excitement, the the resurgence. It's a cliche to say it, but it's totally true, man. We've been spending a lot of time out there, and shit is popping off 
in Detroit. It's palpable. So give me the timeline. What's the timetable? What can we expect? When's construction starting? When when am I going to be able to go inside? We broke ground on Monday. The 29th of February is mm-hmm. when construction formally started after months and months of arduous negotiations. Hey, I didn't even think about it. That was on like leap day, the 29th. Yes. Weird. It is weird. That's kind of mystical. I think that bodes well. I think it does. I think that it's definitely not a curse. And what's the game plan for for the opening? Well, hopefully 60 days-ish or yeah, we're hoping something s- or the all we can say right now is spring 2016. If all goes according to plan, we're going to have some uh more so cuz right now it's really crazy the space is like very raw. It's like dirt floors and no drywall, and it's got to be like cut out of, yeah. of, of the space. It has to be mm-hmm. created as a place where humans can be inside of it sure. without a hard hat. So if everything goes according to plan, we should have a, a firm date announced really, really soon. Well, I know personally you guys have been working really hard on this, and I want to congratulate both of you on this uh, fine accomplishment. And I look forward to giving more developments on Super Skull Show as we get them about the Detroit location. I'm really excited, man. Yeah, uh, uh, check us out. Uh, we started a Facebook page for it. Mm-hmm. So Vault of Midnight Detroit on Facebook. Yeah, we're going to put up all sorts of pictures about the construction process, about the concepts, about you know our fixtures, and kind of what we're, what we're going for in this new shop. It's going to be a good comic shop, you guys. It's going to be really good. I'm, cool. cr- I'm crazy juiced about it. The, the amount of, you know, every time we do this, we get a little bit better, I think. Yes. And oh, we, I hope um, so get involved with creative people who help us build shelves and design stores and pick all kinds of cool materials to make stuff out of. Can we talk, can we have a boring talk for a minute about all the people that are helping us do this? Heck yeah, let's do it. So, um, Jove Cantillon. He's the best. From Cantillon Finishers. A wizard. And Amos Sherado from By the River Carpentry mm-hmm. are two of the dudes that are leading the construction team, helping us put together our fixtures, helping us design all of these, cu- We're do- everything's custom in the whole place. Every shelf, every counter every display case yeah. every it's all, it's all we're building it from the ground up yes. what's uh, what's the how did you describe the uh the the interior of the shop it's going to be like a swedish pharmacy on the moon exactly <laughs> but with comics and what's crazy is curtis says this crazy shit to our construction team of hardened building professionals mm-hmm. And they're just like totally into it. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Swedish it, Swedish pharmacy on the moon. All right, let me write that down. It's so stupid because Jove is like really really gets it and he's really into it. And uh, I get to be that asshole who says stuff like, I need that blue more tangy is my favorite go to line of nonsensical shit to say to some creative type who yeah. is trying to take your baloney. We're l- we're looking at we're looking at this like shelving the Corian is the name of it, and I love this material. <laughs> this like the, it's a it's a shelving type, and Curtis refuses to fucking call it anything except coriander. Yeah, every <laughs> single time. Yeah, it's funny. It's <laughs> what's so cool about it is, is like you know these guys don't get sick of it. They're into how yeah. stupid I am. And they helped us build the the Grand Rapids shop. Yeah. So we've worked with them before. We mm-hmm. had an intense bonding experience when we built the Grand Rapids shop over the course of like. Well, we designed it for many months, but then we all hung out and built everything for like two days while they built everything and we like dicked oh, around. Oh, we just, yeah. like, hey, can we carry stuff? We did. It was so much fun. We we lived together for like 18 hours. We ate together. Yeah. We drank together. We cried together. Yeah. Philip Wong, who does design work for this podcast that you're listening to, our logo and our website, and does a lot of design work for Vault of Midnight in general, yeah. is super involved in the, the design process just from the ground up. He's been helping us with 
all these different renderings of what the store could look like and helping us with colors and merchandise. And he's been instrumental and really cool. Uh, it's been a great part of this process. That dude has never flipped out once on me, which is awesome because I'm constantly like, <laughs> I need this, 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 and this. And what about this and that and this and, and he that? he just fucking rolls with it. He just it. rolls with it and, and turns he's like, it cool. into gold. He turns it into hot gold and he does it quick. Yes. Dude is on time and the best. So and finally, Seth St. Pierre, who yes. uh, is raised in Detroit and has done all. He's we've worked with him on a ton of different stuff around Vault of Midnight. Um, his his art is currently the big construction wrap banner. That's uh, it, please check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. But check out the the Facebook page for Vault of Midnight Detroit to to see his art in big blue glorious lonely spaceman glory. And when people go see this art, which they do, we're doing a little. Social media outreach with it. Hundred percent. Take your picture with the spaceman. Go to Detroit first of all. Take your picture with the lonely spaceman. He's very lonely. He wants your company. Mm-hmm. That's true. Post it on your internet of choice. So put it on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. Link to us. What kind of hashtag should they use, Curtis? I think you could use hashtag Detroit hashtag Comics at Vault of Midnight is us on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be giving away prizes every single week. We're going to pick the best photo mm-hmm. of humans. Next to this 18-foot lonely spaceman. Yep. Uh, we'll link to the address in the show notes also. It's 1226 Library Street is yeah. the address, but we will link to that. Um, take your picture, yeah. Shoot it out into the world, and we will give away swag yeah, every, every week. single week. We're going to pick a winner every week. We'll give yeah. you the prizes when the, when the shop opens. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be cool. cool. So, we yeah, we're, sorry, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about Vault Minute Detroit. We're really, really excited. Uh, we've been waiting to talk about it for... Uh, Long time. It's been a. It's been a long time coming. So long. It feels like. Yeah. It was. A, yep. It was. It was about. Yeah. It's been. It was. Took a year just to find the spot. Yep. And uh, and now it's crazy because we're. I'm counting days now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we knew this would happen right in this process. It'd be like a year of boring. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then you turn it on, and it's like, oh crap. Exactly. We got to do all this stuff. We got ten minutes to open a comic store. Yep. So cool. there it is. Vault Detroit, officially announced and coming soon. To a downtown Detroit near you. And we're going to talk about it more on this podcast, for we sure, will. as events warrant. Uh, should we take a moment to talk about some some stuff that's been happening in the news? We should. That's probably why people listen to this podcast. Is to stay informed. Comic you guys want related. to talk, talk about Super Tuesday? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Can I, Absolutely. Can, can I start off by saying I made a, I made a boo-boo last uh, podcast? Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. I said so. I said Standoff was the, the hot summer crossover for Marvel. And I was wrong. It's springtime. Can we take the co-boo-boo on that? Because I went with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I went Sorry. right with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's I wasn't listening. So, But that's not that surprises me. Not at all. So uh, Standoff is going to be Marvel's big spring event, but it will lead into the big summer uh, hoopla, which is going to be Civil War 2. Civil War 2, of course it and is. And yeah. this week's Invincible Iron Man uh, kicked off Civil War 2 with the kind of part of the prequel for it. Aha. So, I want to kick it go. over to Super Skull correspondent Curtis Sullivan for some other news items. Curtis, what's going on in the news? Let's just rip through some stuff we thought was uh, excellent. Becky Cloonan is going to take over the new Punisher series with uh, a new issue one. Ooh. What do we know Becky Cloonan from? Becky Cloonan is doing a book called Southern Cross right now from Image. She's done art for all kinds of stuff. Conan, one of my favorite Conan runs she does the art for. She's the best. Uh, she's doing writing and art on a lot of stuff these days. She's writing this Punisher book. Um, this is exciting because when Punisher's great, he's really great. He's going to make an appearance in the new Daredevil Devil, uh, show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Season 2, I think, starts March 5th. So uh, there'll be some Punisher excitement from that. Uh, also, Laser Shield Cap, 
uh, Captain America number one. Yeah. This young. Is a, this is a relaunch of Captain America where he's no longer old. He's no longer old. And he's, we're referring to him as Laser Shield Cap. Yep. Because he's got a laser shield. Uh, that is that, not a trademarked title for Captain America. It isn't. It's just Captain America number one. Got it. Yeah. Yep. But uh, Marcus loves the laser shield, so I thought I'd bring that up. Are you still as mad about the laser shield as you were before? You know, I've been thinking about it a lot, and we talked about it a little bit last night. I think I'm more disappointed that we're losing aged senior uh, Captain America. It's not about the laser shield per se. It's more about the other stuff going on. I mean, the laser shield's part of it. I think a laser (laughs) shield on Captain America is kind of dumb. But um, I'm more (laughs) bummed that we're... I really like what they're doing with Steve Rogers as an older gentleman. Mm -hmm. I think it's added a lot to the Marvel Universe. And what they've done with that character, kind of crossing him into all the things, has been really interesting. It's pretty cool. Um, But, yeah, I have a bigger problem with the laser shield. But I'm going to... I, you know, I'm gonna try to get rid of the doo-doo cup in my heart, mm. and I'm gonna try to enter. I, Nick Spencer's writing this book. Oh, you like Nick Spencer? I do like Nick Spencer quite yeah. a bit. So in Nick Spencer, I trust, and I'm gonna try to enter this uh, new Captain America with a with an open and accepting. Do you want to just breeze by that doo-doo cup thing, or do you want to explain that reference a little bit for the new listener? I like to think that every episode of Super Skull is somebody's first episode yeah. of Super Skull. So yeah. Curtis has a really great metaphor about. Reading comics is it great or is it just no, have doo doo in it? It's, really it's not just about comics. Well, it's about life. It's about your whole life. Yeah, but <laughs> mostly in, in the context. So when I first started at Vault Midnight, whenever you start a new job, but especially at a comic shop, you come in with some preconceived notions about what you like, what you don't like, mm. what your genres are, maybe stuff you want to breeze by because it's not your favorite. And Curtis says that you need to take all of the, your cup, your your life cup, and you need to wash out all the doo doo that's in it. Because mm. all of your preconceived notions, there's someone who likes that genre that you don't, and there's a reason for it. You need to be able to read that genre and understand why that person likes it. As a good salesperson, you need to understand it all in your field. You need to come to work trying to learn something new every day. So you need to wash that doo-doo out, and you need to replace it with none other than artisanal spring water. You're right. Understanding You're right. that everything has good qualities, and even though it may not be your jam, what is it about this thing that is someone else's jam? So that's just ripped off. You guys know this, right? About having like a full cup can't be filled any further. Yeah, but you put the doo doo. I did put the doo doo. I did add the yeah. doo doo. Yeah. <laughs> if your 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 cup is too full, mm-hmm. a full cup, you can't add anything to it. And if you can't add anything to it, then where are you? What is it? And people sometimes don't get it. And then I explain my taco with doo doo reference. And here's the thing: like if you have a whole giant taco, yeah, it could be a huge taco. It could be a one pound taco. If there's even one crumb of doo-doo on the corner, whole taco ruined. <laughs> all right. Now we got a couple of different metaphors going. I'm trying to keep them all straight. <laughs> How does that relate? To the cup. To the cup. Well, you just got to get all that doo-doo out of the cup. I mean, you can't leave any doo-doo. Oh, all right. I was trying. Anyways. I was trying to I thought I'd keep it spicy with some funny. But <laughs> moving on. But yeah, I think we everybody gets the doo-doo cup. Yeah, you just got to empty the cup. So you can put more stuff in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And don't and have most, any doo-doo in there. Most people's cup is filled with diarrhea. Yep. yep. We talk. I cannot believe how much <laughs> we just talked about feces. I'm so sorry. Moving on. Uh, in the news also, DC's Rebirth. Uh, we still know squat. I've been Googling it every single day, looking around the internet. There's almost no new information. What, what is, is DC Rebirth? So they're going to uh, reboot a lot of stuff. A lot of titles are ending. They're not rebooting. Well, they're not that, rebooting. No. I shouldn't say renumbering. Yes. Um, so this isn't a hard, big reboot like New 52. Mm-hmm. Continuity is not being flushed and restarted. Uh, so a lot of series will be ending their current numbering, and there will be new series. 
and a new numbering. Some of the legacy books, action comics, and detective comics in particular will go back to their original numbering. So, like, these books are in their 900s, which I think is kind of cool. I can't wait to see Action Comics number 1,000. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's going to be crazy. Um, So what we know so far is there's 32 titles. We don't know who is in charge creatively of any of this stuff. We know Tom King is going to be involved probably in a Grayson or a Nightwing book uh, is a rumor. And we know Tom King is exclusive to DC right now, so I'm sure he'll be on a book or two. We know Mm -hmm. Dan Abnett's going to be on Aquaman. Yes. Uh, Jeff Johns is at the helm of all of this. He's responsible for Flash Rebirth, Green Lantern Rebirth, and a ton of DC stuff over the last few years. I think probably my favorite kind of company writer at DC is Jeff Johns. Uh, so it's exciting that he's in charge. We'll see if uh, you know this all pans out. I'm excited for it tentatively. Um, st- go ahead. Well, there is some interesting news about though. Every DC comic is going to be $2.99. Which is pretty awesome. Which it is, is, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, they're doing that. Everything. It's it really does seem like everything is steamrolling towards three ninety nine. Yeah, the industry is just moving in that direction. Little well, publisher, little publishers and big publishers alike. So the counter to that is, I would say, a majority of their books are going to be coming out twice monthly. I, th- I think it's about half so far. But is that what yeah. we know? But still, yeah. So that is uh, something to consider. So, so it, it's a big. It's not a relaunch per se. It is a what would you call it? Well, I'd call Re- it a relaunch, but not a not a recontinuity. Yeah, you know, this is definitely like an all new, all different. Yeah. You know, okay. where we're getting a renumbering of stuff, we're getting some new series, but continuity is still there. Not out of line with what ha- what every publisher does every few years. I'm True. super pumped that some of my favorite DC books are going to come out twice a month. Batman twice a month, Aquaman twice a month. That's great. So uh, if those books are good, I am juiced to read them twice a month. Uh, there was also a neat article. Uh, about um, it's called DC Rebirths, Gatekeeps, and Disappointments, uh, and it's by Jessica Plummer. And this is uh, an article I found on Panel.net. It was kind of interesting about uh, Jeff Johns and Dan Didio have both made comics that this is sort of a refocusing on a core DC fan, mm. and that has given some people pause. That I gotta say uh, gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, I think the future of comics is getting as broad and big and reaching out to as many people as we can. I think it's a silly move to kind of uh, circle the wagons. Mm-hmm. We don't know if this is true. It's a lot of speculation based on a couple of comments said by these guys. Um, but we'll link to that article in the show notes. It's an interesting read and food for thought. So um, DC uh, Rebirth, that's what we know so far. Cool. All right, that's the way the news goes. Boing. Um, you guys want to do some big picks? Yes, please. Uh, every week, I try to think of a metaphor. And I never take the time to think of it beforehand. I always try to do it in the very moment when my mouth is up against a microphone. I think it's the way to do it, man. So, if you will, think of a, a Transformer. Now I'm just looking at things around the table. I got nothing. A whole bunch of comics came out, and we're going to help you pick out only the good ones. The best. And, and none of the bad ones. That's right. Marcus, what was your big pick this week? Uh, so my big pick this week is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one. Get right out of town. Oh, I know. It's such a surprise. Nick already spoiled it earlier in the podcast. That's that was going to be your pick? Yeah. Um, so Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number zero came out a few weeks ago. I talked about it a little bit. Uh, and they officially launched the series with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one this week, written by Kyle Higgins. What do I love about this book? Answer everything. Power Range, what? What's so funny? So here's the thing. That cover is so Here's good. the thing, Nick. I'm yeah. going to look right at you while I talk Deep about Deep into this. his eyes. Some people don't understand Power Rangers. Maybe they think it's silly. 
Maybe they think it's childish. Just to be clear, I was laughing at your phrasing of answering, asking a question and then answering your question. That was not laughing yeah, that, at your. It at never your happens in radio. You're right. No. Um, Power Rangers is for many of us super important. I went down the rabbit hole on it quite a bit last evening. My generation, uh, millennials, which I, I don't particularly like the term. Maybe, I know. Well, we don't. We don't really get to choose. Maybe we should change it to the Power Ranger generation. I'd like that a little bit. Ooh, better, I like the sound right? of that. Yeah, yeah, it's much better. It puts it in a much more positive light. Um, I think a lot of us voting really habits <laughs> among Power Rangers. Yeah, well, no, I could see it. Zords, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Team Zord. Um, a lot of us grew up with Power Rangers being kind of one of the first big shows for us. The weekly show that you could kind of tune into every, well, obviously every week. Um, and right now it is having a little bit of a resurgence. And the cool thing about it, this is not the first time that Power Rangers has had a comic book by any means. But you can really tell that since Boom has gotten the licensing for Power Rangers, and especially with this run, they're really putting some really great talent on it. They're giving it some time and attention. And it's putting out a really great product. This Power Rangers comic is exactly like the old TV show. I think they're doing it for real. I think Yeah, that's, they're really giving it their all. It's not just a cash in. Yeah. They're like, let's do a Power Rangers comic. And the book is great. It, it hits all the notes of the TV show that former watchers will recognize and love, but it's also creating new story that is very readable for a modern comic book reader. What I really love about this comic is that Power Rangers has always been rooted in the fact that it was an American TV show that used the cut scenes from a Japanese action TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comic is definitely an American comic, but there are aspects of manga in it. How so? Oh, I think the art style definitely hones in on that. Oh. Um, and there's like the the way the romance is done reminds me a little bit of manga in this in this uh, comic. Um, but like if you look, Curtis is flipping through it right now. Mm-hmm. If you look at the monster design, uh, they're definitely drawing from the TV show, but they're doing it in kind of a manga style. And I like that they're. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but to me, it's giving it's paying homage to the Japanese roots. Of this great TV show. What's the uh, What's the comic about? Uh, this comic uh, starts in season one of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The Green Ranger Tommy has recently switched from being a uh, agent of evil to joining the Power Rangers, and it's about them going through the process of that happened in season one. Uh, it season one or two, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's about them. It was probably season two. Either way, uh, it's about them trying to figure out like, do we trust this dude? Uh, what's going on now that the Green Ranger is a Power Ranger and he has some leftover issues from his acts of evil. He's trying to figure out if he can redeem himself for all the evil that he's it's committed. All the war crimes. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting. They ask some questions that I think now that the original viewers of this show are older, where you're asking, like, where do they store these giant robots? Oh, you we're know, getting the, into some of the practical Yeah, a little bit. Well, the characters are asking that same question, you know, because now we're looking at Power Rangers through the eyes, most likely, of a 20-year-old. Um, something really cool happened uh, with issue zero of this book um, that, that kind of shook me for a moment when I was at the store. What 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 is humorous about that? What you it, you said it shook me. It I, did can shake I react me. Yeah, to you, your I'm words? Sorry, I'm sorry. What do you yeah, want? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I had a copy of Power Rangers number zero in my box, um, and it flew off the shelves. It certainly faster did faster than I think any of us thought it was going to. True. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a hit, but it really uh, really sold out pretty quickly. And I had a dad um, and his younger son. This kid was probably 14, 13, 14 come in. 
And they were like, hey, you know, do you have any Power Rangers? I was like, yeah, we're totally sold out. And the kid was super bummed about it. And I was like, you know what? I got, I have one in my box. You can have it. Um, this is classic so Marcus. I went and got it, and the kid was just super pumped. And the dad looked at me and was like, you know, this kid's been looking forward to this all week. I really appreciate it. He shook my hand. He was like, you know, I remember watching Power Rangers with my other son, my older son, and now he's into it. And it's just the coolest thing. Steve Rogers would have done the same uh, <laughs> thanks, thing, yes, Marcus. But it was really cool. Like, there's a generational thing that's happening because Power Rangers has been on for so long. And I think it is attractive to a young kid for a number of reasons. It's about acceptance and diversity. Oh, if and you're a young kid. Evil and giant monsters, which is... I would say, yeah. if you're a young kid, it's about costumes, Power Rangers, yeah. ray guns, giant robots, totally kick-ass rubber suit villain of the weeks yeah. mm-hmm. and teamwork and All friendship and um but power rangers just is, is doing its 300th episode nuts um on nickelodeon and uh and this is all if you take all the episodes take, of Power Rangers that have mm-hmm. come out, that's we're hitting number three hundred. We're hitting number three hundred. And did that I just think, happen or is it about to happen? I think it just happened. Okay. That's wild. And it's it's just the coolest thing that we have all these generations of Power Rangers lovers, and now we have a comic that actually gives a shit. How many years are we into Power Rangers? Are we are we at twenty years of, Came out of the 95? Rangers? Five? Is that right? I think Something that's like that. right. Something like that. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's the coolest thing. Um, and I'm so happy that there's a company that's gotten the licensing to Power Rangers, and they give a shit, and they're putting out a really grade A comic. Well, book. see, and here let's transition into uh, a point that I think you're making. You know, we talk a lot about what's a cash-in and what's sort of like a nostalgia grab. Um, I think this is an example of a company getting a license that people remember and love and then putting a talented team behind it. Uh, Kyle Higgins, the writer on this book, Mm -hmm. I love this dude. He wrote uh, Nightwing for a long time. Right. One of my favorite Nightwing runs. So they're paying talent to do a really solid book based on a property that is very beloved. That's the secret. You know, it's like when Marvel got Star Wars back and they... You know, spent a lot of money getting the most talented people in all of comics mm-hmm. to do great Star Wars. Because you can sell, you can probably sell this comic with not such a great team. For sure. And yeah, and it'll be it. fine for a few issues. Yeah, because you, you can make a few thousand bucks. Yep, people love Power Rangers, they'll get it no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. But no, let's, let's combine that with a killer book. Yeah. That, yep. I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm going to keep updating on Power Rangers as it goes on. It's, it's if not the most... The book I'm most excited for right now, it's up there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so I'm so happy that it's doing what it's doing. Um, and they've already announced that they're going to do a mini series on just the Pink Ranger coming I saw out. Saw that? Yeah. So they're going to start doing these little mini bits on all the Rangers individually. Love it. Um, but yeah, if you remember reading the Power Rangers, this book is written for you, and they they actually did justice with it. So check it out. The art is just dynamite. It really lends itself to a great book. Cool. Very good. That was Any more from Power Rangers. Number one. Yeah, yeah. This week. From Boom Studios. Uh, I might pick this week was Black Widow number one. Oh, really? Tell us, Peppermint Larry. Why did you like Black Widow number one? Thank you, Captain Knuckles. The reason I picked it is because I just really liked it. So it's Mark Wade uh-huh. and Chris Samney. Mm-hmm. Those, Those guys are both good. The same creative team behind... Daredevil. Oh, they yes. They did that really good Daredevil run maybe four years ago. For like a ago? long time. Yeah, it was a long run. Yeah. Um, this new one, it, it's a, it was, I don't really know what's happening with Black Widow in the Marvel Universe per se. I'm not like 
super keyed in uh, as to like what's going on with that character. She's Do you guys of, know what's going on? She's kind of been with? out of the mix for well, a little the, bit her, now. Her last run was Phil Noto on the art, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm blanking on who was writing that one. It was a lot of fun. And I'm sure she's been popping into different characters' mm-hmm. books or whatever, but I haven't really like seen her around. or you know, Yeah, her last run finished up not too long ago. It was nice. A lot of espionage. Yeah. Did a really cool Punisher uh, crossover. Yep. But uh, it's she was... Uh, Doing Black Widowy stuff, absolutely. You know, and when you think of Black what do you, what Widow do you mean now, by that? Uh, modern movie Black Widow, mm-hmm. espionage stuff, not really on a team with the Avengers, not doing super people stuff, but like sneaking onto, you know, lone wolf Russian freighters and stealing, you know, government secrets, yeah, and this kind of thing. So, yeah, um, is that uh, what's happening in this one? Is she doing espionage? This is like a f- just a full blown action scene. Oh, it's nice. It's one long action scene. From beginning to end, and it was very cool. So all we know is that Black Widow is she is in Shield headquarters. Got it. She stole something. Nice. And they're just trying to. All of Shield is just trying to stop the Black Widow. It's Black Widow versus Shield, and they cannot stop her. It brings up something really interesting, Nick. And, and I, I think right now what Marvel's doing with this Black Widow comic and with Standoff is they're making a push to make Maria Hill. The big bad guy right now. So well, I would say big bad guy, but also just that Nick Fury character where, like, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. Yeah, but Nick Fury you know? had some, like, redeeming qualities about him. Okay. Maria Hill right now is just kind of on a war path. Got it. And she's up to something seeming kind of sinister. Yeah. We don't really know, but mm-hmm. she's she's definitely framed as the antagonist in a bunch of these books that are For coming sure. out. She's definitely framed as, like... She's got, you know, there's a lot of power going around, and we don't know what she's up to, so it seems kind of insidious or, she's or, or nefarious. There are a number of Marvel characters right now whose stories are based around the fact that they're, like, trying to figure out what Maria Hill is up to and stop her. Yeah. Black Widow's one, Sam Wilson, Captain America, Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier. And that oh. seems like what they're gearing up for yeah. in, the, in the standoff event. Like, Maria Hill is going to be the, it's going to pivot around her a lot. And I think what it's inevitably, inevitably what we're seeing is the build-up to Civil War Two. I think it. Maria Hill's going to play a big role in that. Yeah. Okay. It was a neat book, man. There's this double-page spread of uh, Black Widow jumping out of... Did you read this, Curtis? I did not. It's a double-page spread, Black Widow jumping out of the hello, uh, helicarrier. And you can tell that it's Black Widow just because you can like see her red hair like yeah. way off and that cool. she's tiny, tiny. Yeah. And the thing is like exploding. It was as good a double-page spread as I've seen in a long time. It was very, very cool. Chris Samney is one of the best in the whole business. That dude's very, very good at his job. He's very, very good. The fight mm-hmm. scenes in it had a little bit of a, a born identity feel for me. Well, you're It was s- all very dramatic and like close combat, it bone It was action-packed, man. It was great. Cool. It, and it's just a giant chase sequence. Yeah. The entire thing. One scene. One of my favorite things ever is a great chase sequence. I love born movies. You guys are just selling me so hard on this right now. I loved it. And there's like, it was almost wordless. Cool. It wasn't <laughs> totally, I mean, they're, you know, they, they were chatting at each other, but it was mostly just run by action. Yeah, right. It was cool. It was a fun-ass book. Check it out for the creative team. I have no idea where it's going or what the larger point of it is. Uh, but yeah, Black Widow number one, Mark Wade, Chris Samney from Marvel Comics. I will read anything by them two dudes. Yeah. I don't even care what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are our big picks. Let me ask you guys, should we yeah. just dive into Dan Close and then talk about your big pick at the end of Dan Close? Let's do it, you guys. Let's dive into Dan. As his most recent thing? I think we should. All right. No pull box. The big one I want to talk about just real quick. Spider-Man number two came out starring Miles Morales. This Spider-Man series should be on any Spider-Fans must-read list. It is absolutely phenomenal. Agreed. It's just great. 
Uh, I read Street Dogs. I did read one other comic this week besides Dan Klaus stuff, and there was a little tiny mini comic called Street Dogs. Oh, how was it? It was super hilarious. It's just about all these dogs that like hang out on the streets, and mm-hmm. they call each other dog, and they do stuff. It's super funny. Did you guys read the new Vampirilla? I did. I got it in my pile. I didn't read it. It's Kate Leth, though. I want to read it. Don't. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let me know what you think about that All right. one. Okay. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, a, was a thing that you read? I was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then it just turned into a thing that I read. Yeah. I'm really excited about Sheriff of Babylon 4. Oh, yes. Came out this week. We got Prophet Earth War number two on the list. That first issue was so dope. Can't wait old for man that one. Logan number three uh-huh. came out this week. Best old man Logan yet. Yeah. Hands down. Really? really good. Oh, yeah. cool. I've enjoyed that one thus far. Yeah, but really, I'm just uh, I'm in a I'm in a Dan Klaus cloud. Yes, I'm in a clouds. Let's dive into it. All uh, right, because Dan Klaus had a new book that came out this week. It's called Patience. Patience from who published it? This is Fanta Graphics. Yep, it's just Fanta Graphics. Mm-hmm. Fanta Graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is his first book in like five years. You dudes, I had, it is. It was Wilson was 2010. It was so long ago. I think it was five years ago. It just feels like a hundred years, really. Yeah. Because I want new Dan every day. I've been so excited about this book coming out, and I've been so excited to to do it to point our taser at him. Me too. And they shipped it early. We were set to do this taser like two weeks from now. That doesn't make any sense. When does that ever happen? That never happens. A hardcover from a dude like Dan Klaus comes out two weeks early. Thank you, everybody involved in this. I'm way into it. So first of all, welcome to Taser, where yes. we take one thing. Mm. We talk about it for a while. Yes. And it usually has to do with comics. We get deep on it. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Marcus, what are your, you, when you think Dan Klaus, what, yeah. do you, what, what comes to mind? Uh, you know, Dan Klaus's readership, stereotypically, I'm going to stereotype a little bit here, mm-hmm. uh, they have a look and kind of a, a feel about them. It's usually someone who's a little bit older. Handlebar mustaches. Uh, tweed jacket for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is also we should say completely in your mind. This is my mind. Yeah. Yep. This is what I I picture my Dan Klaus customer as. Yeah. Because it's demonstrably false, but keep oh, going. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they come in and uh, they ask specifically right away, just for Mr. Klaus's work. Mm-hmm. Where's your Dan Klaus section? Mm-hmm. And then they're there and they pick up what they want, or and they're gone. That's mm-hmm. and that's that's it. They're not interested in. They, you know, maybe they spend a little bit of time in that section, that single author artist section, mm-hmm. um, but but they're not really interested in the other stuff. Maybe they buy some other, like, say, Chris Ware. Yeah, yeah. Or sure. Michael DeForge. Yeah. But and, and then and then that's what they've come for. They've got what they're interested in, and they're out mm. the door. And what does mm. that tell you about Dan Klaus? What does that indicate to you? Because you had not until recently you hadn't read anything by him. This week is the first week that I've ever read Dan Klaus stuff. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I read Wilson, Ooh. and I read his new book Patience. Cool. This week, um, but you had some preconceived notions about the man, I'm, I assume, because of uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit more of the academic comic, the graphic novel crowd, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you know. That, that, that's been my experience thus far in the comic shop. You know, if you're looking for a graphic novel, mm-hmm. then, then maybe the Dan Klaus group is, is your group. So. Yeah. so let's say right off the bat that Dan Klaus is one of the most awarded, celebrated cartoonists in the history of the medium. Absolutely. True. His, we can't even... I tried to count all of the awards that this dude has won and been nominated for. And it's, it's all it's, of them. And I, it was, it's a lot. Yep. He's, he's won them all. Mm-hmm. Um, he's largely credited for, like, even though he hates it, 
the you know spawning and burgeoning the the literary movement in comics, whatever that means, and we'll talk about that later. Heck yeah! But the idea of comics as um, something other than people wearing tights, correct? Uh, that a lot you have to lay a lot of that movement at the feet of Don, of Dan Klaus, amongst others. Yes. Yep. Comics as as a medium and not a genre. Yeah. He, he's right all up in there. Yeah. Yep. So um, he is the creator. The, what you've probably heard of him from is Ghost World is his big work. Um, Art School Confidential. Movies got made. Both, of, both, of, both of, those of those were made things. into movies. Yep. Um, but he did a, a, a series called Eight Ball for a very long time. We're going to get into de- in depth on all of this stuff in a minute here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has just been doing independent minded um, comic books from since the early 90s, late 80s, uh, up until right now. Yep. And uh, yeah, he's one of the one of the biggest creators in the movie. He's one of my favorite creators. Absolutely, hands down. I've been rolling around in it for days, and I just feel I have a, a glow. Yeah, I can see it. I rare I rarely am glowing this hard about comics. I mean, I'm always rolling around in comics. Yeah, but uh, a dude like this, I mean, I'm I'm doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You're reading everything. Yeah, and it just uh, when I get done with this, I'm gonna pick who's next. Maybe it's gonna be Chris Ware next. And I'm just going to read all of it, but we'll get into that. I think you totally should. Just smother yourself. And before we get any further, a very special thanks to the Dan Klaus Reader, which is edited by Ken Pareil and published by Fanagraphics. It came out a few years ago, and basically everything that we're about to talk about is um, is credited to them. Cool. It's an amazing book if you haven't checked it out. The Daniel Klaus Reader, if you care at all about this dude or about... You know, uh, about graphic novels in general, I really recommend checking it out. I think it's the perfect way to check out Dan Klaus for the first time. It's got Ghost World in its entirety in there, which is a perfect gateway yeah, for I agree. this dude. And it's got all kinds of critical talking about what makes him awesome. Yep, and about it's a really cool history of comics that is like puts in per- into perspective what's happening right now in comics. Yep. Um, so if you've heard of Dan Klaus... Uh, and you don't read comics, chances are you heard about him because Shia LaBeouf plagiarized him. That was a big yeah, thing. Yeah, pretty massively. Yeah, what happened there, Marcus? So, yeah, I went and did some, did some look at this. So, uh, Shia LaBeouf... Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Friend of the comic shop, mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf, came out with a um, film short, HowardCantor.com, and it was originally debuted at the 2012 Keynes Film Festival... And actually got some positive buzz. G- comedian Jim Gaffigan starred in it, mm-hmm. and people were pr- pretty hyped about it. Um, and then people started to notice that this film short had quite a bit of uh, similarity to the Daniel Klaus published work, uh, Justin M. Demanio. So, and by by similarities, you mean it's exactly the same dialogue lifted whole cloth. Scenery, yep. yeah. the same. Yep. Dialogue, the same. Um, and so people were like, hey, what's going on? And the interesting thing about it is Shia LaBeouf had come out with two comics uh, before and went to C2E2 to sell them at Artist Alley. Mm-hmm. And Artist Alley is that these cons, all these artists come and set up these little tables and try to kind of sell you their wares and talk to you and get signed comics. So Shia LaBeouf goes to C2E2 and his girlfriend's with him and she's talking to the press about like how much this dude just loves Daniel Klaus. He's got his books everywhere. Then this movie comes out and then the plagiarism uh, accusations slash evidence start to emerge. And it's it's literally an exact copy yeah. of this comic. So LaBeouf comes out and apologizes to Klaus and the way he does it is he 
takes an apology from a Yahoo's answer segment on plagiarism mm-hmm. and uses that that bit verbatim. So he uses plagiarism to apologize. He plagiarizes to, to Daniel his apology. Klaus and then goes into this weird Twitter rant where he's just plagiarizing other people's apologies and sending them to Daniel Klaus. And some of the people he plagiarizes are like Tiger Woods, Robert McNamara, Kanye West, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and he's just shooting all these things to Klaus. And it Yeah, he turned his like his ripoff thing. Like, oh, they caught me for for ripping off this dude's work and did right. like this statement yeah. about plagiarism. Yeah, like I, we watched it in real time and it was like, this is fucking bizarre. It's and, super bizarre. And then his books that he came out with, those get hit for plagiarism from Charles Br- uh, Bukowski. Mm-hmm. And those are those are comics we carried at the shop. Yeah, we, we had those Shia LaBeouf comics. Um, and it all kind of hits ahead when Shia LaBeouf pays an airplane to write, I am sorry, Daniel Klaus, above the skyline of L.A. Um, and he goes one more time. He, he, he The whole thing kind of ends. He shoots a photo of his next project, um, which, again, shows to be verbatim um, plagiarism for Daniel Klaus. Yeah. And then that get, that hits the media, and it ends with Shia LaBeouf saying, shooting out a tweet that says... Uh, I am no longer in the light of of the the public, and that's when we get into all the weirdness with. Shia he retires LaBeouf. from he re- all public life. Yeah, he retires from public life. Hey, big ups to Shia LaBeouf, man. Game recognized game. Yeah, we're we're good good friend of the show. Yeah, but it got big headlines Thingy. when this happened. This was a big deal. Yeah, because it was it was not like a did he take inspiration from this or did he plagiarize it? Like he absolutely 100% plagiarized this work. It's very weird. Rarely do you see stuff this blatant and bizarre. Yeah. This was a total spectacle. Yeah. And was a blast to watch. And we um, only bring it up because that's like you probably heard Dan Klaus's name. If, you, if you're not into this scene already, that's sure. probably where yep. you, you might have heard of it. Yep. But if you listen to this podcast, you're probably into this scene a little bit now yeah. that I think about it. So uh, back to Dan Klaus. Yes. What kind of themes do we have in his work? What do we see over and over again? So issue one of Eight Ball, uh, on the title page, Dan Klaus describes this book, quote, an orgy of spite, vengeance, hopelessness, despair, and sexual perversion. So before you even read <laughs> one page of issue one of Eight Ball, this is uh, what you're getting into. Absolutely. Uh, so there's that. Um, alienation is an ongoing th- theme. Cynicism definitely is just oozing all over this book. Uh, and time is is very strange in his books. It's time travel. It's uh, just bopping about throughout time. It's Sometimes characters... it's just time travel in the form of reflection. Absolutely. It's a character like incongruous in time remembering a different time in their life. This is something he kind of revisits over and over again. Yes. Um, so you can't talk about I think, and I, and you can't talk about Dan Klaus without looking at his how he came to be the weird dude that he is. Sure, um, his early life and influences you can trace so much of it back to Jack Webb, which is I never would have thought that. Yeah, me not, until not, looking not at I. the the reader, yeah. the Dan Klaus reader. So Jack Webb is a, he's a TV actor, producer, writer. He's most famous for Dragnet. Good, good show. You guys Dragnet. Remember, you guys remember yeah. Dragnet? I do. Hopefully Rachel Polk is playing a little clip from Dragnet at this very moment. I hope. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. 
Um, so it's a Dragnet, in case you've ever heard of it, it's a police procedural. It's probably the most famous and influential one ever made. If you, if, if Law and Order exists and CSI exists, probably on the back of Dragnet, right? Absolutely. So Jack Webb, he's super straight-laced. He's very unpretentious. He's a man's man. He's got a crew cut. And Dan Klaus is into this in the 60s and 70s, and this is a show from 1951. Yeah. yeah. And so he is like, Dan Klaus is not plugged into or not into the stuff that's happening in his, like, in the contemporary cool things. Sure. He's thinking about the 50s. He's like, he's into stuff that nobody around him is into. No, the amount of 50s dad that kind of seeps into, like, the pores of all of his stuff. Yes. I never thought of it until... Until reading this. Yeah. So, what's interesting is, so, Klaus is obsessed with Jack Webb. Like, it's not just like, oh, he was a fan. Like, no, he collected memorabilia from this dude. He learned everything he could about this. But that's really tough to do in the 60s. It's not like you can just go on the internet and read a Wikipedia page. You can't about Google it. it. you got to hunt it down. you got to want it. Yeah. For Jack Webb, of all people. Um, so, and it's not just his vibe as an actor, and it's not just the stoic personality, but it's Webb as an auteur, as a dude that makes TV and that makes stories. Right. So he has this economy of style this single-minded purpose in how he tells stories, and he does it just very simple. No frills. That's how Jack Webb makes all of his stuff. I love it. And that's how Dan Klaus, you can see that you across see all of Klaus's work. It's, Absolutely. It's very straight-laced and straight-ahead, and this is what I'm trying to do here, um, even though there's depth to all of that stuff. Well, I think that economy gives the things that are there punch. Yes. And that's just awesome. Yeah, yeah you can see that. Oh, cool. So what are we uh, moving into the early works of... Daniel Close, uh, art school. He attends the Pratt Institute. He becomes disillusioned with the art scene. He calls all art school the great scam of our time, um, which makes a lot of sense. I did not know that, but he does uh, a strip in one of the issues of 8-Ball called Art School Con- Confidential, mm-hmm. which is a scathing indictment of every single human being involved in art school. He just goes type by type. Like Absolutely. These are all of the different people you're going to meet in art school, and the, here's why they're full of shit. The and faculty, he, yeah. everybody who goes there, they're all culpable, and they're all full of shit. And he fully takes aim, and this is another theme in his work, is that he fully points that gun at himself Absolutely. while he's doing all of that stuff. He doesn't spare himself from any of this kind of criticism. No, we're all in the mix. Uh, a great quote from that story is, if you're going to pay for four years of art school, or as he says, have your parents waste <laughs> their money and pay for four years of art school, bring a camera. Yeah. Because it's it's only going to get this good here. It's <laughs> <laughs> so fucking funny. Um, so uh, his ambitions to do cartooning were squashed in art school because uh, it's super not uh, cool to be a cartoonist. Yeah, it's not. It's looked at as low art, and it's also he realizes that it's commercially not super viable. Yep. It's tough to be a, a comic book artist if you want to do your own thing, especially if you want to do your own thing in the 60s and 70s. Yep. Um, I guess this would have been the late 70s, if I'm doing my math right. Um, but he, so he, after art school, he tries to do some freelance work, but he doesn't really have much success with it. He's submitting his stuff all over the place, and nothing's really coming out of it. Um, during art school, he publishes, it's his first published work as a cartoonist, is called Psycho Comics, number one, which nice. ran all the way until issue number two. Two issues of Psycho Comics. Yeah, and this is all with other students that he met at Pratt. Awesome. Um... But during that time, while he's trying to pitch his work to for freelance illustration, he uh, gets something accepted around the same time by both Cracked Magazine, which was a mad magazine 
Competitor. I think it's a ripoff. I'm going to call it a ripoff. Yeah, basically. When I was a kid, I thought it was a ripoff. It was inspired by Mad Libs. Okay, yeah. let's say yeah. that. Okay. Um, so he's getting work in Cracked Magazine, but also at the same time, Fanagraphics accepted his proposal for a comic called Lloyd Llewellyn. Got it. And which is, it, at the time, Fanagraphics was like, that was it. If you wanted to control and do your own book, mm-hmm. uh, and you wanted to own all of it, and you wanted no editorial interference, Fanagraphics was the only place to go. Right. That's uh, wild. And so that brings us to Lloyd Llewellyn. So Lloyd Llewellyn is, the, the name is a reference to like the DC Marvel style alliteration. So Peter Parker, Clark Kent, Lloyd sure. Llewellyn. It's a Jay, du- Jonah, Jameson. It's a direct play off of that. Yeah. Um, he's, and it's, he's also, Klaus, uh, he abbreviates it as LLLL. So effing I think it's really funny. I don't yeah. know if anybody else thinks that's really funny. No, it's super, super on point. I every time I see it, I'm like written. It's like, oh, right, okay, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Um. So he, you know, when he does this uh, character, uh, I read somewhere. Uh, help me out here. Uh, that he needs a character. He's given advice that you need a character that the readers can connect to. So that's the idea. Is that because that's what all comics are at that point. You need a you need a superhero. You need somebody that's you know you can follow. Right. And so he comes up with a detective character because. That seems commercially viable, but also probably Jack Webb's is sneaking in there. I was going to say a little bit yeah. as well. Um, so, but Lloyd Llewellyn is very much not a cool detective. He is the anti James Bond. No, not at all. And he gets all this bad stuff happens to him constantly. Yeah, it's super funny, man. He, he gets like the short end of the stick, like every strip. Yep. He's not smooth. He does not get the girl. Klaus has a great quote that I'm paraphrasing. He says some of the effect of, if he ever does get the girl, it's because they see his failings. It's not because he's like ultra smooth or attractive. But Lloyd Llewellyn, it's not a satire of, because it's a character set in the 1950s, and it's like a pastiche. It's just a mashup of all of this 1950s culture. But it's not, he's not ripping on that stuff. He loves that shit. No, he, he does a weird Twilight Zone version of it, I think. But yes. it, I don't think it's a, a a jab or a dig. You know, he's not tearing it down. He's he's just looking at it through psychedelic lenses or something. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of an excuse to mash all of this stuff that he's been into his whole life, which you can trace directly back to, you know, Jack Webb or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he's just putting that into his first comic book. But eventually, in 1987, the book's canceled, and Klaus is pretty relieved by that because he feels hemmed in by having to just be limited to one character. He's sick of the character. He doesn't know where to take it, um, and he he wants to do something totally different. And he kind of just does that because he wants to get published, and he's like, okay, this is a way to do it. Exactly. So, yeah. And that leads us to... Eight Ball. What's Eight Ball? Eight Ball is. Oh, an sorry, am- Marcus. No, I was gonna say, Curtis. When this, so recently they've collected Eight Ball, correct? This, they have. this last year. Mm-hmm. I have. I've worked at Vultiman almost two years now. I don't know if I've ever seen Curtis as excited as when the Eight Ball collection came out. Yeah. He like built a pyramid of it. <laughs> yeah. And was standing by it and just like in awe of his work. I think he felt that him and, and Mr. Klaus built something together at that moment. And it was just so cool to see Curtis like vibrating with excitement <laughs> over true. this giant pyramid of Daniel Klaus. I've never seen another moment where. Well, that book didn't exist. You couldn't get it. Right. There was no way to get this stuff, to get all of it in its complete no, form. No. It did not exist no. until just this year when and, they did that, or the, last, late last year. Exactly. And the weird thing about this book is it's sort of like the antitheses of like collectors' comics, right? You don't, you know. Like trade, you know, back issues of eight ball, you know, for big bucks. 
But the people who own them never sell them. The few issues that I have, I'm never going to sell. I'd love to get a complete collection, but they're super expensive. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly expensive. Print runs on early issues are like tiny as hell. Yep. So you just can't get these books. Um, the weird thing is that now is that it's like a hundred and twenty dollar whatever hardcover with the first eighteen issues in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so trying to sell that to people. You know, yeah. I built this giant pyramid of hundred and twenty dollar <laughs> box sets, <laughs> and then I'm trying to sell pe- to people who would like eight ball. Which yeah. is, uh, you know, not everyone. Right. You know, hey, man, you, you got an extra $120 for this gourmet. You can't teach this shit in business you know? school, man. <laughs> exactly. this, this. But you, every single one is gone. We sold uh, every we single we one had, of we them. Had to keep, we keep ordering it. Um, yeah. Because it's it's a game changer. And I, I, I'm, it's so beautiful. I've been, like, rolling around on the floor with all my Dan Close comics for days. So what is 8-Ball? So A Bell is an, an anthology series. It's all Dan, but every issue is different stories, different characters. Sometimes they continue, sometimes they don't. He makes up shit that lasts for one page or three pages. Yep. It comes back ten issues later, or it never comes back. Um, which is great because creatively you can see that this the juices are flowing. He's if something's on the page, it's because he got psyched to do this thing. Yep. And it lasts as long as his energy for it lasts. And the one of the craziest things that are the, the different art styles that he uses yeah. in eight ball. Oh man. Like this is really when you start to see what this dude is capable of. Like it's just it's all over the place depending on the type of story that he wants to tell. And it's fucking virtuosic in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And even in one story, you know, now I'm just now thinking about it, it's sort of American manga esque in in this way. Because over the course of even one longer story, the art style will change for different reasons at different moments to punch up yep. emotion or, or a feeling or something. Um, it, it's just uh, totally on point. So 8-Ball uh, ran for 18... Well, it ran for, ran for 23 issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first 18 are really sort of the anthology ones uh, where he's all over the place. And then 19 through 23, each issue uh, has a different size, different format, mm-hmm. and they are complete stories. Right. So And that was um, until 2004. 2004 was when... Death Ray, uh, I believe, was the last issue of Eight Ball number twenty three. Yeah, so which is one of my favorite all time uh, comics. So the stuff that we love about Eight Ball is really included, you know, or the stuff that we know from Dan Klaus. This is all a part of Eight Ball. So Ghost World mm-hmm. uh, is originally serialized across Eight Ball. Yes, um, Art School Confidential, I think, also appears definitely in Eight Ball. The mm-hmm. Party, which is a really famous strip that he did about him just like hanging out at a party talking shit about everybody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, th- this also first appears. Marcus is shaking his head. Based like, on a real story, too, of him talking shit and yeah. he got into trouble with a bunch of famous cartooning people for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah. Um, so. Um, so Eight Ball is... Really, when this is what puts this dude on the map, um, he wins his first. So this comes out comes out in 1989. It's the mm-hmm. first issue of Eight Ball. He wins his first Harvey Award in 1990, and he goes on to win an insane number of awards: 13 Harvey Awards, six Eisner Awards, a Penn Award. Um, it and then it just goes on and on. The nominations dwarf those numbers. It's outrageous. Yep. Um, in 1991, he starts this informal collaboration with... This is so f- cool. He starts this collaboration with Chris Ware, another cartoonist, and they produce over 125 improvised mini-comics hanging out together at this cafe, right? What the hell? And less than half of them have ever been photocopied or reproduced. I want them all so bad. I love that this happened. The dorky... And I hate that it happened. Overwhite, Caucasian, receding, hairline, sweaty, Dan Klaus, comic-collecting character that I am... <laughs> In real life, <laughs> just wants to go get them all. I want to go find them, and, and I'll pay all the money for them and hoard yeah. them. 
<laughs> you know, I'm that, sorry. That was wonderful. Yeah. So at this point in the early 90s to mid 90s, we really start to see this is really what's interesting about Dan Klaus to me. I mean, besides just, you know, how amazing his work is, but we have the the quote-unquote birth of quote-unquote literary comics. Yes. And you can't have that conversation about that happening without talking about Dan Klaus. You definitely cannot. So first of all, Dan Klaus hates the idea of literary comics and he hates the idea of the he hates the term graphic novels. So he has this quote. He says, I don't think it's a good term. I think it's pretentious. I don't like the term graphic. It has connotations, I think, that don't apply to what's being done. Most of the main graphic novels, like Mouse, Fun Home, Persepolis, are not novels at all. They're nonfiction. Somebody who actually cares about the English language will see what it applies to and think, these people are stupid using a really imprecise turn. term. I'm a cartoonist. And that's always how he'll kind of refer to himself. Sure. Is as a cartoonist. He also said once that being a famous cartoonist is like being the most famous badminton player. That's super funny and on point as hell. Which I really like. Um, so he won't use the literary label and he doesn't like the terms comic book. He refers to himself as a cartoonist, but he works within all sorts of genres within the cartooning medium. So Death Ray is kind of a superhero story. Definitely. In a lot of ways. Absolutely. David Boring is called an adventure book. Patience is like a sci-fi book. Absolutely science fiction. In a lot of different ways. You're right. Um, so he's working in all of these. He's just taking it and treating it, just like you said, Curtis, as a medium mm-hmm. and not as like this, this genre. Yeah. So around this time, no, please go ahead. I was just gonna say I love it, and this is, you know, a lot of people attach these labels are outside of the medium. Yeah, you know, and it's not to pick on anybody who's who's trying to define this stuff from the outside looking in, but if anybody's gonna define it, I mean, I look to people like your Spiegelmans and your uh, Chris Ware's and your it. Dan Klaus. I mean, they're accomplished uh, crafts people of this medium. Yes, and I think cartoonist. If Dan Klaus uh, thinks he's a cartoonist, I think we should all. Uh, Look, lean towards yeah. that definition. So, so 1992, Mouse wins a Pulitzer Prize from Art Spiegelman. Yeah. Um, Chris Ware, who works with Spiegelman in the late 80s, um, he starts putting out Acme Novelty Library in 1993. Um, Dykes to Watch Out For from Alison Bechdel is coming out in um, the 80s all the way to, you know, actually not too rec- not too long ago. That ran for a very long it time. It ran until 2008, huh? Okay, yeah. cool. So... In this period of the late 80s and early 90s, there's stuff happening that is going to change the way that people think about comics forever. Yeah. So in 2000, Chip Kidd and Random House design uh, alternate covers for collections of Jimmy Corrigan, which is right. a Chris Ware book, yes. and David Boring, which is a uh, story from 8-Ball. Collect- correct. And the tour of these books is like nothing comics has ever seen before. So they're touring these books around the country. They're doing big publicity tours. They're featured in museums. Uh, the like the original comic art from cartoonists is being featured all over the world. And comic courses start getting offered in colleges. Serious scholarship starts on the medium right. for the first time ever. Um, people start to treat comics as something that can be studied as a as a field in and of itself. It took so long. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, Stan Lee was doing his college tours when. 70s, but it was as right. a it was mm-hmm. as a pop art thing, mm-hmm. comics. It, it wasn't a, it was not as a let's write theses on Spider Man. There was some light discussion at the time mm-hmm. that was a little scholarly. Yeah, I was just saying, um, I've watched some of those uh, two college tours are available. You can watch the videos yeah. online. Yeah, and I mean they're talking about the greater things in comics and how it. It evolves. was nothing like this though. It, okay. it's, it's nothing like whole 
departments being built around comic books, which started happening in the early 2000s. Yeah. We, we never saw anything like that before. No, but I, I think Mark says a good point. I think it's a neat kind of uh, uh, glimpse of it, of where yeah. what we could have happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, it takes a while, a uh, couple of decades, till we get this to this stuff, point. Yeah, even this stuff is coming out in the early 90s, and we don't see this even collection coming out until 2000. My favorite thing to think about is Acme Novelty Library starting in 1993. Yeah. You know, on a rack in a comic store next to, like, you know, X-Force, Cable, yeah. Armageddon, Quest. Because 1993, when I think of 1993, I think of, I'm going to stop reading comics and pretend like I never did. Right. Except for, oh, cool, Acme Alley Library and, and 8 Balls coming out. And all this cool stuff's going on. Yeah, so, yeah. some of the best shit. Yep. So... A lot of this is due, so I think you have to put a lot of this at the, like we've been saying over and over again, you have to give Klaus credit for this kind of, the serious treatment, and whatever that means, whether that's whether that's good or bad, and I think it's good, I think by it's and crazy large, good. Yeah. Because um, it's exposing people to comics in a way that they had never been exposed before, and more importantly, it's showing new creators and potential new creators that there's other stuff that you can do with comics besides just superhero stuff. And you can do your voice, whatever that means. Yes. Which is, I think for a long time, comics, it just felt like there was these bizarre self-imposed rules Mm -hmm. that just weren't real. And maybe it was the gatekeepers, it was the publishers who wouldn't accept submissions for anything other than, you know, company books and work for hire stuff. But we're in a different world. If you're talented, if you have a a thing you want to do, you might be able, there's a good chance you could get it out there. Yeah. If it's awesome, you know. There's a lot of publishers now. There's, There's not a, just there, one. There are venues for that now in yep. a way that there there never was before. So I agree with you 100%. Books like this, uh, especially now and definitely then, yeah. show uh, the potential for the medium. Yep. So, so uh, in 2010, he Klaus releases Wilson, which is the first graphic novel uh, that was not a part of 8-Ball. Yes. It was just released as a full graphic novel. And Marcus hated it. Now I'm a gym. Yeah, so I read, I read, <laughs> not my jam at all. Um, so I read Patience and I read Wilson, two yeah. very different books, in my mind. Um, and I think the difference is, is, is uh, and, and I don't want to make a broad statement to say like there's two types of Daniel Klaus because I haven't read the rest of his collected works. But Patience is a really great sci-fi time travel, well thought out adventure story. Um, at its core, I think it has all that stuff. Yeah, I don't think that's what it is at its core, but I, it has those elements. It has those going. elements. Yeah. Um, Wilson is about a kind of despicable dude who is just commenting on people he interacts with, mm-hmm. at least for the first half of the book. Eventually, he he has a daughter, and it gets into kind of a family relationship thing. But um, well, <laughs> kind of. I mean, it does. <laughs> it, well, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, it, go it, ahead. It gets Keep into going. his relationship with his daughter and yes. how it evolves. But um, this, the patience. Who he kidnaps at one point. Right. We'll get into that. <laughs> right. Go ahead. The patience, <laughs> the well thought out sci fi, the, the doing neat things with a thing I've seen before, um, which is time travel and, and relationships and how they're affected with time travel. I mean, th- this has been done to death. What happens when you travel in time? How does it affect the world that you come back to? Yeah. It's been done over and over and over again. And Patience takes a really fresh look at it and does it in a really great way. Whereas Wilson, all I mean, what I get from that and, and what I imagine when I read it is kind of the I'm the smartest dude in the room. And if you don't get where I'm at, mockery should ensue. And that yeah. is not appealing to me in, in, in any way, shape, or form. Well, so. and I think Klaus does that. And there's other uh, folks who do it. I think Chris Ware does it too. Where you're not supposed to like Wilson. I agree. 
You know, you're supposed to look at Wilson and be like, what a fuck face. Yeah. You know? And I find that to be, a lot of people find it very frustrating and the opposite of funny. And I, I, yeah, and I don't I get find that. it funny at all. I find it sickeningly hilarious. Like, I can barely contain my laughter when I read a book like Wilson. Like, I'm like, there's sp- spit flying out of my mouth. I'm laughing alone in, in my living room. Nobody yeah. around. But I can see how it would have the opposite effect on people. I get that. Yeah. I absolutely do. Because it can be tough. You know, you're reading Wilson, you're like, who the f- You know, if you went out to dinner with Wilson... You would have a horrible dinner. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make <laughs> it, it would through the dinner. It would suck. Yeah. yeah, you would flip a table and fuck you, Wilson. I'm yeah. out of here. And yet, you can't, if you read that whole book, there are moments when you see the yeah. humanity uh-huh. in this horrible dude. Yes. absolutely. Yes. And that is Dan Klaus. That's his whole thing, is that you yep. take a shithead, or you take a villain, or you take a cynic, who, which we are all capable of doing from time to time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you you see another side of them because human beings have dimension. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I agree. That's Dan Klaus in a nutshell. That's what he. That's what makes him as good as he is. But but that said, that can be a challenge for somebody looking for like an entertaining good time. Well, there are you books know? that I've read yeah. that aren't in, quote unquote entertaining that I've been able to draw enjoyment from. Like mm-hmm. Mouse is a phenomenal graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I've read it a number of times. I, I, it's a hard read. It's not a fun read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a good graphic novel. But the essence of pulling your characters from a place of of into quote unquote intellectual superiority is um, not not a great read. I think Wilson is a real person. I read. I don't think Dan is creating. I don't think he's projecting at all. Do you know what I'm? You know, I think Wilson is a real dude. Oh, we've. My God. I think we've all seen Wilson. We've all we've seen, seen Wilson. Sure. We've all been Wilson. Yes. All three of us. Yes, absolutely. So I, I don't, I don't think it's. Uh, I'm not saying it's, it's not a, a chief, it, It's not a person that. I don't want to word this. It, it's not that Wilson isn't a believable character. Mm-hmm. Um. It's that when I finished that book and I asked myself, what have I taken away from this reading experience? I didn't come up with a whole lot. Whereas with something like, like I read Jimmy Corgan on Nick's recommendation and I, I walked to and he's kind of, he can be a despicable character as oh, well. Oh, so miserable. Yeah. yeah, he's a miserable dude. Um, but I, when, I wa- when I read that and when I've read kind of higher comics like Mouse, I, I've pulled more away from them. And I didn't get that with Wilson. Yeah, that's with totally Peach? fine for yeah. for all of this stuff. And I only I only wanted to talk about this because this is exactly this conversation we're having right now is the 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 debate about Dan Klaus and the divide in readership for mm-hmm. for Dan Klaus. Right. Yeah. Because the other thing he does really deliberately is he doesn't do a big story arc. He he'll take just weird moments. Sure. And let those linger. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't, mm-hmm. he, his story. He approaches story from a perspective of maybe things don't always. Maybe you don't always have an inciting incident, and then people change, and then they resolve. It, Wilson doesn't really do that. Nope. No, uh, no, nobody. Be, you know, Wilson at the end of the day isn't hasn't learned some great lesson. Yeah, and become right. a, a a radically different, better person because of his experience or his no, his trials right. or tribulations. Yeah, no. But, but if the goal of really good writing, and maybe I don't know, I'm not saying this is the goal of all writing, but if one of the goals of really good writing is to get you into somebody else's head for just a second and to look at a person that is completely different from you and try to understand them as a human being for a second. I think 
Dan Cloud. There's not many cartoonists that are better at it than Dan Cloud. And I and I think you've just encapsulated it perfectly. That's that's what he does. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he does a lot of cool, weird stuff, but that's one of his tools uh, that he brings to bear. And at the sacrifice, maybe of a big story or a big story arc, sure. it's all about just like anyway. We could we could go on and on and on. We absolutely could, and you know, and this is kind of that like you know a segue from there is uh, the the alt comics versus superhero comics kind of uh, debate where it's like you're either one or the other. I don't think you're one or the other. I'm not saying you yeah. do. I'm saying, but in comics, as a comic store, we do get that a lot. Yeah. Where you really have got this kind of divide, and um, I hope I hope that divide narrows, and I hope people can, can do both. Yeah. Because I'm a huge, huge fan of giant blockbuster summer crossovers, like Secret War, for yeah. example. But at the same time, yeah. I and this is a perfect example. Patience is and Death Ray is of it, they're big genre books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're they're dealing with despicable people that are not fun to read about. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I found Patience. I mean, I liked Patience. I was. I've been thinking about it since I put it down. I read it cover to cover last night me in one too. sitting. It yeah. killed me. And I it loved a, it. It was a very good reading experience. Um, so you know, will I go back and read it again? Maybe I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah. Um, I was on the edge of my seat this whole book. Yeah, it was. It was. Very it really good. grabbed me and it propelled me through this book. It had such a gripping narrative. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, well, anyway, we are completely out of time, but that's mm-hmm. uh, that's Dan Klaus in a very small nutshell. So yeah, patience. Uh, like I said, had me at the edge of my seat. Uh, this was uh, so worth the wait. Thank you, Dan Klaus, for this new beautiful hardcover. Uh, it's described on the back cover as a cosmic time warp death trap to the primordial infinite of everlasting love. And it's out today, March and it, 2nd. And it's just great. Just do it now. If you've never done Dan, uh, grab Patience. Grab the Daniel Klaus Reader Yeah, anywhere where better books are sold. And a special thanks again to uh, Ken Pareil and the Daniel Klaus Reader, who we, we just blatantly plagiarized for most of this little segment we just did we did indeed yep. pulled, a, pulled a shia oh we pulled a shia is it shia buff it's shia labouf shia labouf uh, what do we want to say what are our favorite dan Klauses? i love death ray i love death ray i want to call everything death ray you it's guys true. know this yeah we almost called this podcast death ray when that book came out i was like D- that's death ray this is my whole life yeah how can i incorporate <laughs> death ray into it yeah we were gonna call this podcast death ray we, we really tried. We tried so hard. I was really fucking butthurt about not being able to call it Death Right. I know, I saw it in your uh, face. I just couldn't concede that we can't. Yeah. It took a minute. It's not just, there's not just one, but two podcasts <laughs> called Death Right. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. All of our art and design is created by Philip Wong. Special thanks to the Ann Arbor District Library for the use of their recording studio. Uh, please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show podcast on iTunes if you would. We need them reviews because it helps people find us. Make sure to check us out on all forms of social media. We're everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, and our website, Super Skull Show, is our handle. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I am Captain Knuckles. We wish you good reading. Until next week.
Come hither. Come hither, yes. butthole. Why, hello. Oh. Oh, what's this? <laughs> I just took my regular jacket off and put my smoking blazer on. You put your smoking blazer on over your silk pajamas. It's a fine red velvet quilted material with a black sash around the waist. I love sashes. It's flesh-colored. My smoking jacket is flesh-colored. That smell makes sense. Yeah. It goes with your Don Johnson TM branded <laughs> yeah. flesh-colored socks. And by flesh, I mean bright pink, like my flesh. <laughs> smell yeah. of Dominican yeah. cigars. Caucasian male flesh. Yeah. Michigan. I'm Sick- telling you. Sickly. We talked about it. We <laughs> talked about Michigan it. flesh. Talked about it yesterday, homie. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hitting a tanning bed every once in a while. Well, you know, no. you probably, you know, stu- go spray on is what I... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 